This message is from Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona. Ancient Faith for Today's World. May 14, 2023. Ephesians 1, 15-23. There was a writer once who chose to do a special article about the wealthy. And by wealthy, he meant those who could live the rest of their life without working a single day and yet living in comfort and luxury. Only he wanted to target a particular type of the wealthy. This would be not the wealthy who flaunt their wealth or who show their friends their special private jets or put their names on towers downtown. No, this, this was the type of wealthy that he wanted to interview. It was the ones that were not letting anybody know that they were wealthy. The, the kind of wealthy who had friends in, in low places and who worked an ordinary job even though they didn't have to and whose friends didn't have the slightest clue that they were wealthy. He called them the stealthy wealthy. You ever consider yourself to be a stealthy wealthy? You know, as a, a way of looking at it, we really are a type of stealthy wealthy. All of God's people are. They are given not an ordinary type of riches and power, but though the world might not see it, we have what the Apostle Paul described as he wrote to the Ephesians, in which we read earlier. He said that we have a glorious riches and an inheritance and a power that's working like the mighty strength of God. That riches, that power, that, that's ours. It's, it's a riches and power that's beyond our measure or comprehension. And that's what we'll see this morning. How you have great riches and power, we have power and riches from our ascended Lord. Now, as Paul's writing to the Ephesian Christians, probably he didn't look or sound or seem like one who had much worldly wealth or influence. In fact, when Paul came to the Ephesian elders and he came to the Christians there, He reminded them that when he came, it was with lowliness. As Paul writes to them, he says in Acts chapter 20, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you? From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing. In fact, Paul worked so hard, he he reminds them that he worked a job in order to supply his own means. And Paul, though he had no money or wealth, found that he could do all this as he finished the Lord's work. He said, I know only that this is going to come on you too. In every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. That's what Paul found. In fact, when, when Paul had been first at Ephesus, he was chased out of the synagogue and he had to meet in someone's private home. And then later on, after Paul had started to get a number of hearers for the gospel and those who believed the wealthy silversmiths and idol makers grew jealous and they chased him out of town and Paul was forced to leave. And even as Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians his letter now three years later, he writes as one who is imprisoned. Doesn't sound very wealthy, does it? One who has really no financial means, who's under the control, no power, who's under the control of the Roman guard and who himself has been flogged, beaten, imprisoned, and chased around. Not powerful, influential, 
or wealthy. But that's just it, isn't it? The type of wealth that Christians have isn't the type of strength and power of this world. We might begin to think that that type of power is what we need or that the church will get by if it has strength and influence of this world. But it's not so. We remind as we look at the word of our God that as God calls those into his church, yes, he calls those who have wealth and power. That's not one of the criteria for being a member of the kingdom of God. We are members of his household and Christians through faith and through the word of God. That's how the many believers came to believe at Ephesus. And though, yes, some were influential and perhaps had wealth, not all. That's not the way the the world always understands it, right? Think about how David changed his mindset in the Old Testament. David, who hardly counted the number of stones he needed to face a fierce warrior, later on became king. And what do we see David doing? One who trusted in the Lord for strength? He's counting his numbers of his army to find out just how strong he really is. That's the way the the world operates. If you have wealth, if you have power and strength, then you can get things done. And maybe we begin to buy into that thinking with the church that if we just get the right amount of wealth, the right person, the right power, then we can do it. We look at what the church has. We are, after all, a rather small church body. And as we look at some of the other church bodies that maybe have more wealth, we think, if, if only we had that, then we could really get ministry done and then we'd have success. But we can't. So we don't. But what we're missing is we're putting our strength where it cannot help. We're putting our wisdom and our power where it will fail. The wisdom and power of this world doesn't matter. And maybe our problem isn't so much that that God isn't going to use our strength, but we are looking at our own hands. And that's not faith when we look at our own hands. And we begin to despair as we wonder, how will God accomplish his mission? And focusing on our own hands, we see the, the largest and fastest growing church in America is, well, it's the nuns. That is, the people who don't affiliate with any church. And so we see the the church is losing its wealth and its influence as the ungodly are increasing in wealth and influence. God does use wealth and power to cause his church to grow. But it's not the ordinary wealth and power of this world. What we see in Ephesians chapter 2 is the problem isn't that we don't have riches and strength. Rather, the problem is our vision. Paul says, as he writes in Ephesians chapter 1 here, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Notice what Paul's asking? That the Ephesian believers might have their eyes opened that despite the fact that Paul is in prison, despite the fact they saw him chased out of town and that the silversmiths and idol makers were the influential people of the world, that they might see their riches and their power and the riches and power for all who believe. You know, this is really the issue. It's they were looking in the wrong place. Paul wrote to a different group of Christians once to direct their attention away from where they were looking as he wrote to the Corinthian Christians. 
He reminded them, When I came to you and you believed, not many of you were wise or influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. Some were, but not many. Paul is saying, don't look at yourself. Faith doesn't look at our own hands. Faith looks at the hands of our God. And as our eyes are opened, Paul reminds us that we do have riches. He says that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the glorious riches of his inheritance for his holy people. You know, it's not rather, do we have the right man for the job or the right money or right strength or influence? There is no right man for the job except for one man. That one man didn't come with worldly strength or riches. Rather, he emptied himself of all his wealth and all his power. In order that we might become rich, he became poor and himself becoming a servant. And Jesus, the Son of God, the lowly one, in order that we might become rich, gave his precious life and his blood. And that's the price that God has given us. The world might say, you have nothing, but Jesus says, I give you myself, my everything. And with his blood comes forgiveness of sins, peace with God. With his blood comes that precious gift that we know we have everything from our God. And can you put a price on that? And it says here that Paul says, your eyes will be opened that you might know the glorious riches that you have in Christ. That includes when Christ told his disciples, go make disciples by baptizing. That in the water and the word is the riches of God giving his spirit, the gift of the spirit. You've been given no greater gift and no further riches than what you received in your baptism. And that God would be so generous in pouring out his riches that he would say, here, with this bread and wine, is my body and blood given for you. What greater gift, what better meal, richer banquet could you take of than that? And the riches that we have in Christ go on. It's not only what we possess now with the value of his payment of his blood and forgiveness and the sacraments, but also, he says, that power, that you might know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Maybe we wonder, do we have the ability to carry on ministry? Or are the words that I speak really going to make a difference in this world? How can I make a difference? Paul says, I pray that your eyes will be opened, Ephesians, believers, open to see the incomparably great power for you who believe. That power is like the working of Christ when he was raised from the dead, when the Father pulled him out of the grave, a power which conquers death. And the inheritance that Paul speaks of includes new bodies in an everlasting kingdom of grace that we will have that inheritance with a God who reigns over all things. And until then, that power is described as this. He raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. There is no power greater than Christ who holds all power and who pours out and brings that power for you, his church. 
You know, I want to read for you uh, something that was said once by one of my seminary professors describing that power that is ours in the church. He said, Are you afraid you might baptize a baby and it won't take? Are you afraid you may speak the absolution and it won't count? Are you afraid you may preach the gospel and it won't work? Afraid you might offer the sacrament and it won't forgive? Go and be chicken little and fear that the sky is falling down before you. Fear before you fear that Christ lacks the power to work through the gospel in word and sacrament. John Paul II told a billion Roman Catholics, Do not be afraid. And they dropped to their knees and deceived relief. The Son of God tells us, Fear not, little flock. And we worry and wonder and weep for our ailing church. Listen, Christ wants to preserve the church, and Christ will preserve the church, because Christ can preserve the church, and he'll do it with his own power. We can't, we won't, but he can, and he will. And how do we know that this power is ours, that these riches are ours? You catch what Paul said there? He said, all this is for Christ, and he's over everything for the church, for us. Jesus lives. And because he lives, he lives to pour out his gifts and his riches and exercise all power and strength for us. You know, we're not those who look so powerful and wealthy. And the church as a whole doesn't always appear to be so strong or rich. But really, we're kind of like the stealthy wealthy. We know, as our eyes have been opened, what we hold and possess in Christ, our riches, power, and inheritance. We know Jesus lives to bring riches and power. Amen. Share his love so all may